Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Training camp is underway. DeAndre Hopkins is under contract. And most Tennessee Titans fans are over the moon with optimism, which is the norm at this time of year. Everything feels possible in the opening days of training camp. And uh and that's uh that is where we are as we uh as we come into this episode of the Believe in Titans podcast. As always, I am David Beauclair, joined by former Titans cornerback Denard Walker. Denard, how are you? I'm doing good, David. How are you doing? Doing outstanding. And uh, John Glennon, John Glennon of the Nashville Post. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well. I hope you guys are too. Doing great. And before we dive into uh, before we dive into this thing, we do need to uh, update you on a on a little a couple of housekeeping items. I guess we'll say training camp did start without uh, cornerback Caleb Farley. Uh, and offensive lineman Dylan Radens on the practice field. Both are on the uh, physically unable to perform list. Uh, defensive back Josh Thompson is on the non-football injury list, also not practicing. Um, as we talked about here last week, the uh, Titans worked out George Fant over the weekend, as well as another veteran tackle, Chris Hubbard. Neither one uh, was signed, but... Uh, but just ahead of camp, Tennessee did add veteran safety A.J. Moore, a guy they had on the team last year that they uh, they they had high hopes for, particularly as a special teamer and uh, and maybe uh, maybe some specialty roles on defense. He is back, and uh, defensive tackle Curtis Brooks was uh, was waived to make room for him. So. Uh, I mean, let's uh, let's get into this. DeAndre Hopkins signed his contract, met with the media, talked about uh, talked about his relationships with Mike Vrabel and and Derrick Henry, uh, but uh, but also talked about, in a way, I guess, how impressed he was with the end of the Titans season and the fact that they were competitive in in a couple of games with uh, with a quarterback they pulled off the street. Uh, to, to play those games, John. I'll uh, I'll start with you. I guess what uh, what stood out the most to you from uh, from Hopkins' comments? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I, I think we expected some of the reasons that he signed with with the Titans certainly to be my, the relationships you had. You know, Mike Vrabel, Tim Kelly, uh, um, you know, Charles London uh, as well as now the Titans' passing game coordinator. All go back to to Houston together. Um, and then, you know, he, he knows Derrick Henry well over the years. They've, they've worked out together. They've, they've become pals. Made sense that, that, that relationship, you know, that, that, that gives, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins a, a, an excellent running attack to kind of balance, uh, the, the passing game as well. And, and, you know, uh, hopefully open up more opportunities for him. But, you know, as you said, I, I think the most surprising thing to me, uh, one that kind of caught my eye was that, DeAndre Hopkins talking about how the Titans offense and especially down the stretch. And, and he mentioned, you know, kind of 
some of the Josh Dobbs games as well, you know, talking about how it sort of, he said, it woke my eyes up to how these guys play, the pace they play, and how competitive they can be with the right people on the team. Um, and and he thought that oh, they're only a couple pieces away from where they want to be. And, and that's great if you're the Titans. You know, obviously he signed here and, and, he, and he certainly believes it, but I just kind of was left a little bit scratching my head. You know, we all saw the Titans struggle down the stretch. So many injuries, you know, we're not playing well in general. And the offense sputtered all year, you know, wind up, uh, wound up with, with, you know, 30th in, in yardage, 30th in the passing game, 28th in, in average points, just like 17.5 a game. So I kind of wonder a little bit, where's DeAndre Hopkins coming from there? Again, hey, it's all well and good if you're the Titans or a Titans fan. Hey, he he buys into what the, the Titans had in terms of potential. Um, and, and maybe DeAndre Hopkins is also saying, I certainly am a huge piece of what they were missing and, and that I can make a significant difference in this offense. And that's certainly believable based on his track record, too. But, I, I you know, I, I left being a little surprised again. This is a 31-year-old guy, you know, who has only played in, in six playoff games in his career. And maybe the, the initial thought was, was that, you know, maybe he's looking for a Super Bowl contender. Instead, he goes, uh, you know, to, to this Titans offense that, that certainly was struggling, but that DeAndre Hopkins sees sees some good things there. He sees the seeds, uh, certainly, of a uh, of an offense can make a big turnaround, apparently. You know, and, and in his in his time with Houston, it's not like he played with terrible running backs, right? I mean, he, he was that team's leading receiver six years in a row. Um, one of those years they, they had, uh, they had sort of a disastrous running game, but you know, uh, among the, the Texans leading rushers during that time were Arian Foster, Lamar Miller, Carlos Hyde. You know, those are, those are, those are good backs. They're not Derrick Henry though. And, and I would assume that they, you know, there is something, there is something very appealing for a guy in his position. And, and as we've talked about here, you know, what it's going to do to defenses and, and the, specifically the way teams are going to be able to cover DeAndre Hopkins to have a Derrick Henry in that huddle with you. But, uh, you know, a lot of that stuff, Denard, you know, you're a guy who changed teams a couple times in, in your career. I mean, it, it comes down to money and opportunity, right? I mean, the rest of it, the rest of it just is stuff that, that makes you feel good. And by the time you get there, you're not going to walk into any situation thinking, well, geez, this team's terrible. I mean, you, you, you're going to look on the bright side of, of anything, even, a, even in this case, a couple of late season losses, right? You're going to look for the positives and say, Hey, I, I can help that if, as, as DeAndre Hopkins apparently has done. Well, he's helped himself. And that's what matters the, uh, at this point, because if you look at it, the first thing, we'll, let's just be honest, John, you just alluded to the fact about the money. What he got a, what a deal worth $26 million, $3 million per year available in incentives, not to mention a base salary of $12 million, $12 million in 2023. That's not bad. That's not a bad way to go out. But I tell you what I also love about uh, the signing of, D hop is the fact that it's not just going to help Derrick Henry. It's also going to help Traylon Burks. I had a chance to, uh, I saw a quote that I was reading earlier, David and John and Traylon, man, he, he is excited about this, uh, uh, addition of D hop because what happens, he says that having D hop in the building is motivating him to elevate his game and to take it to another level. And we talked about this receiving court, David. I mean, we talk about the youth. 
I mean, outside of Chris Moore, we looked at the ages. The, you know, the oldest guy was Nick Westbrook, Ikene, going into his fourth year. So now what you have is a perimeter game where you have experience and depth by adding D-Hop. Not to mention, David, I just wanted to um, I wanted you to look at something. You look at this offensive line. It's a revamp offensive line in 2023. They went out. They address, especially look at the uh, tackles position. You got Andre Big Man Dillard coming over from Green Bay. And then at the right tackle, we don't know if it's going to be Jamarco Jones and Peter Scaronzi. Now you've got a great running game. You've got a great receiver. You've got a one-two punch. David, this is going to be excellent for D-Hop in both ways. Monetary-wise, you get paid. And now you get a chance to play with arguably the best back in the business other than Nick Chubb and D. Henry. So I love what a comment uh, uh, David was he, he mentioned Arian Foster who he played with in Houston, but he says, Derrick Henry is the best back that he's ever going to get a chance to play with in his career. And he feels like both of them can help each other in 2023 and elevate and take this thing to a Super Bowl. And, and, and it's interesting to think about the impact on a Traylon Burks, right? I mean, it's one thing for Traylon Burks to have been through a rookie season in the NFL and to have had some big plays and, and a couple of really good games and, and to think, okay, that was good. I need to be better. I'm going to do things to make myself better. Uh, now when now when you're in the building every day, in the meeting room, in the locker room, on the practice field with a guy who's an eight-time pro bowler, a guy who has, uh, you know, a guy who has done things that you're almost on a weekly basis at times that, that, that make people go, oh, my goodness, you, you know, absolutely, if you're trailing Burks, you're going to be paying attention to that. And, and almost certainly, I mean, you, you can't say this for sure, but almost certainly at some point, Traylon Burks is going to think to himself, Man, I thought I was working hard to get better, but looking at this guy, I've got so much more to do. And 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 Hopkins talked about this a little bit too. And that you know when he came into the league, Houston had Andre Johnson, who was uh, you know who who showed him the ropes and and taught him a lot of things to do. Then he went to he went to Arizona where Larry Fitzgerald, who I think played till he was what seventy eight years old or something uh you know he he was uh you know he he sort of mentored hopkins too in in that regard and uh and you know it it seems like he understands that it's it's not just i gotta show up and play here it's i've got a i got a bunch of young guys paying attention to me i need to help them be better too and uh that is a uh that it if if he can if he can thrive in that role as well that that's gotta be worth something um while while we're talking about this hopkins deal we should uh we should note because it was big news early in the off season that uh you know kevin byard reworked his contract basically turned some I guess guaranteed money or or some actual money into incentive money that uh, you know if all goes well if he has a Kevin Byard type year he's going to get his money but that uh, but that move was uh... everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich but you're the Fileo Fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. 
was necessary to help get DeAndre Hopkins under contract. And uh, Denard, I'll, I'll start with you on this. How, how likely is it that that Bayard said, "I don't want to, I don't want to touch my contract," but oh, if you can get DeAndre Hopkins here, then yes, we can talk about that. You you think it was this, as simple as that, or or did did this thing any chance this thing built up into something more serious where they uh, maybe franchise officials issued him an ultimatum? I don't think they they put up an ultimatum. Uh, the, the reason is is if you look at his salary. He goes from making $14 million, So he'll take a $3 million hit this year. So you go from 14 to 11 And not to mention he, he, what, KB, what KB can do. And this is you got to give it up to Rand Carthon. I thought he did a great job. And even though he went to KB and said, listen, we need to restructure your contract. But what we're going to do, David, is we're going to put a bulk of that in incentives. So you can make a, a, a Jordy, make up a difference right there and just incentives alone. So even though you're going from a base of 11 million, let's say if Rand Carthon, I don't know how the contract looks, a lot of that can be made up in incentives. You know, we talk about interceptions, tackles, you know, whatever they put in there. So that's going to, that's going to be huge. But what I love about Kevin Bob, he is the most unselfish individual that I've had the chance to cover in a long time. David, he said it best. He said, it's all about winning ball games. And he, when he was asked regarding his deal, and what I love about it is there was this guy, I don't know, David, you may know him. His name is John Glennon from the Nashville Post. And I was Heard reading of. an article. I don't know who this guy is, but yeah. uh, he was interviewing, I guess, Kevin Bart about this. And what an interesting quote. And he's quotes. it says, at times, it's time to be selfish. But at the end of the day, it's about building a team. And I am a team leader, team leader. And I want to win first and foremost. David, that says it all. And that's why I'm, I'm glad they got this deal done. You know, John, every, every day people will look at this and say, okay, 14 million to 11 million, you know, what's the difference, right? I, I mean, that's, that's a, 11 million is a lot of money. 14 million is a lot of money. Uh, you know, how hard is your cent? Uh, do you, do you, I guess, how hard do you think Kevin Byard? thought about this how difficult a decision was this for him and uh and and and, you know as as you've written about like what what ultimately made him comfortable with this move you think yeah you know i i think sort of the uh the the shock a a little bit probably wore off for kevin byard you know i think one of the comments he made and and uh you know, I honestly can't remember whether he was talking to the national media, whether he was talking, he did the podcast, Busting on the Boys. But he said, you know, initially this this whole thing started about the pay cut. He had his agent go to the Titans and he was looking for an extension, you know, at that point. And the Titans uh, uh, kind of countered with, hey, yeah, you know, not not so much on the extension front, but hey, how about a pay cut, <laughs> you know, while we're talking? So I, well, I, that's I think, a big difference. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a little that's a little gut punch right there. Uh, and, and especially, you know, when Kevin Byard is a guy who had already restructured his contract twice previously, he was de- also dealing with a brand new general manager in Rand Carthen. So you could see where where feelings got hurt and things got out of out of whack here. Um, but what really helps, you know, yeah, David, you mentioned it's, it's a, a, you know only a, a three million dollar salary uh, cut. But what really helps is the restructuring here for the Titans. Um, you know how the the magic of the of the salary cap 
the the Titans or, or Kevin Byard's salary hit, salary cap hit, dropped from 19.6 to 11.3 this year. So that gave the Titans eight million dollars more in cap money this year. That's what brought in DeAndre Hopkins. So yeah, I, I think that certainly you know played a played a significant role in Kevin Byard's decision. But what was not on on Kevin Byard's contract. Pre- previously and is now is a four million dollar roster bonus for next year which i believe kicks in in march so basically uh what what that does is is you know if the assuming the titans don't cut kevin byard in the lead up to free agency which would be stunning uh, at at this point for for that to happen then he's going to make that money back uh, I, I think in that $4 million signing bonus or not signing, but $4 million roster bonus next year. So it's in, in some ways it's a win-win, but yeah, just the, the willingness for, for Kevin Byer to, to work on, on this. Um, and then Ryan Tannehill put it pretty well today. He said that kind of thing has a huge impact in the locker room. When one of your team leaders, you know, is willing to, to, to sacrifice someone and, and just to, uh, to work with the team like that in order to bring in a star player, uh, very uplifting for the locker room in general. And, and at this point, we probably should invoke a name that we don't uh, bring up very often in, in discussions like this, but it should not be overlooked. Vice President of Football Administration Vin Marino is uh, is the Titans salary cap guru and probably is the one who who said hey here's what we can do here's here's a way we can free up a lot of money and in fact uh in in fact the the Titans executives earlier this week in in meeting with the uh in meeting with the media assistant GM Chad Brinker talked about Vin Marino and and said uh you know, he's he said, I really trust him. He's a guy that knows the cap inside and out, probably forgotten more about the cap than even I know. And uh, and, you know, these are these are the kind of thing, you know, it, it's one thing to make moves to get you under the salary cap because a lot of teams have to do them. Um, it, it's another thing to do it without crippling yourself at some point and you think you know you think back to the history of this team when uh uh you know Floyd Reese rest his soul you know did whatever he could to keep the core of that Super Bowl team together as long as he possibly could and then all of a sudden you find yourself in these situations where Randall Godfrey agrees to take a pay cut in February, and then a couple months later, you release him anyway. Where Steve McNair is told he can't work out in the building because uh, because you're not going to be able to keep him on the roster. You got to make a move, and he ends up he ends up in Baltimore. You know your your most hated opponent, and Samari Roll goes to Baltimore, and Derek Mason goes to Baltimore, and you know you haven't seen those kinds of situations repeat themselves in in the last decade or so. And, uh, and I, you know, Vin Marino has been the guy making those kinds of decisions for quite a while now. And, uh, and, and you have to, you have to give him credit for, uh, for, for, you know, yes, yes, there are, there are, there have been guys that the Titans haven't been able to re-sign, but there just, there just has not been the, uh, the sort of mass exodus that we had seen uh, earlier in this time's, this franchise's time in Tennessee. So, uh, so salute to uh, salute to Vin Marino for his ingenuity in in getting this deal done. 
Um, we mentioned we mentioned the George Fant workout. Denard, you referenced it uh, a short time ago. You brought up the name Jamarco Jones. Uh, um, Mike Vrabel was asked about the right tackle position and what's going to happen. R- reminder, of course, Nicholas Petit Frere is is going to have to miss the first six games of the season for a uh, an NFL suspension related to violation of the gambling policy. Uh, John. It, it, it sounds like Jamarco Jones is is going to be the guy who, uh, who 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 gets the first opportunity, certainly to to be the right tackle. Is is that the way you read it? Is is where the kind of the tea leaves are pointing right now. If uh, George Fant isn't signed, uh, I did just notice just before we we start our podcast tonight that he um, has a George Fant just actually reportedly. Uh, worked out for the Houston Texans as well. No signing there either yet, but another AFC South team that is at least interested in George Fan. And we should also mention on the George Fan front, kind of a, a weird yeah. situation. You know, he he, uh, he worked out Saturday for the team. We we know that, and that was reported. And then oddly enough, uh, when the when veterans reported on Tuesday, you know, George Fan who hadn't been signed. Uh, you know, the Titans photographer, team photographer, is snapping pictures of guys walking into the facility from the parking lot. And lo and behold, who's one of the guys he snaps a picture of? But George Fant. Um, and, uh, you know, and that goes up on the Titans photo gallery. And all of a sudden, people start noticing this and, and it starts making the rounds. And all of a sudden, whoops, the Titans pull that down from their uh, from the um, uh, the photo gallery on the team site. So kind of a weird situation there. But I still think. In in my mind, I I think Fant, you know, if something can be worked out monetarily, if Fant is is healthy enough, I know he had knee problems last year, but I I just think that is the the best option uh, right now. You know, Jamarco Jones, that they like his versatility, um, but you look at the amount of right tackle snaps. Uh, I think eighty five career snaps over three seasons at right tackle. One of them was a start. Um, it, it's not a lot. And then, you know, Mike Vrabel also went down the list of other guys who might, you know, kind of compete uh, if it's not Jamarco Jones and if they don't sign George Fan. And, and he, you know, rattled off several names who've never played an NFL down. You know, Andrew Rupchich, John LeGlue, Jalen Duncan, John Ojukwu, who they call OJ. You know, the thought of anybody starting out of those guys who never even played, a, you know, in an NFL game is is, is kind of nuts. Uh, um, and then he didn't even rule out the possibility either of of Skaronsky, who's already learning two positions on the left, moving over to right tackle potentially, or Brunskill moving from right guard to right tackle. So there's still a lot of possibilities. But yeah, you're right that, that Jamarco Jones seems to be the guy right now. And I just uh, I don't know. I, I you know it's a tough situation for the Titans. There's no perfect solution, but I would have my concerns if he's your if he's your starting right tackle in, in week one. And, and and if you're asking who is Jamarco Jones, we'll remind you that uh, the Titans signed him last year as a free agent with the idea that he would compete for the, the starting job at left guard and or right tackle. And, and the feeling when they signed him was, you know, he's he's coming here to play more more likely than not. And and if not, then he's going to be their their primary backup, probably you know, possibly at four positions, really. Uh, and and what happened was he 
he just was never healthy, like never even in training camp got going there. And, and it was a, it was a completely lost year. And, and so Denard, I, I want to ask you for a guy like that who, who comes to a new team and, and just can't be healthy, can't get on the field, practice field, game field, otherwise, uh, you know, how, how motivated do you suspect he will be? by this opportunity and, and presuming he, you know, he's the guy getting first team reps at right tackle right out the, right out of the gate here. Well, it means everything to a player of his caliber. You got to understand he, he missed his entire rookie season because of injuries, David. And so right now he knows that uh, in what he's only appeared in 36 game with seven starts. So sometimes you're talking about the window of opportunity closing. If you can't stay healthy in this league, they will make changes quickly. And I think that's why we've been hearing so much of George Fan. Now, one of the things I do love about Jamarco is when he is healthy, uh, he's a very good player. I think he's great at that tackle position. As you look at the way he played when he was with Seattle, I mean, how many players do you know that in seven starts in 36 games, you know, you look at the right guard, he made three starts, right tackle two, left guard one game, left tackle one start. I mean, that's versatility. I mean, you know that what, that's his at strongest attribute is that you know that you can move him, what, five, four or five positions on the offensive line. That's why I give Jamarco kind of a heads up. I give him kind of a little bit of edge over George Fan if they did sign George Fan in the fact that he can play multiple positions. But again, David, that's his Achilles heel is his health. And that's always been an issue. So if he can't stay healthy, I just, I don't know what you're going to be able to do with him. And And, and say this too, he's a guy, I mean, I know coaches try not to play favorites and, and some I'm sure are more successful than others, but, but this is a guy Mike Vrabel has known going back to Vrabel's oh. days coaching, you know, at Ohio State. And he, you know, talked about, you know, I watched him play basketball. I got to know his mom. I mean, you know, there's a part of Mike Vrabel that's rooting for this guy right now. Not just, not just the head coach saying, okay, if this guy, you know, if this guy can make us a good offensive line, great. I mean, I, there, there's gotta be that part of him that's just saying uh, you know I, I god I, I you know i like this guy he deserves this opportunity i i hope he can uh i, I hope he can make the most of it so he is uh he, you know it, 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 training camps typically don't have nearly as much intrigue as they did 25 30 years ago you, you, you sort of come into training camp knowing what a roster is going to look like barring injuries and and unexpected developments that sort of thing but Jamarco Jones is one of those guys who is really going to be worth watching in the early part of training camp and, and particularly the preseason games because uh because you know as we said he's he's a guy who's who could potentially come back from the abyss here and uh and have a very very important role for this team and uh, uh speaking of important roles there's there's obviously none more important than quarterback and uh you know the titans titans know who their starting quarterback is but uh beyond that things get a little more interesting and uh for what it's worth you know we heard a little bit of this during the off season mike frabel again on the opening day of camp raving about malik willis and uh and his attitude and, and, you know, referenced, uh, referenced a Nick Saban quote where saying, you know, good players want to be left alone. Great. Or excuse me, average players want to be left alone. Good players want to be coached and great players want to be told the truth. And he, uh, he went on to basically explain that Malik Willis 
accepted some difficult truths about his rookie season in in terms of deal, his dealings with the coaches and and whatnot this off season. So I, I you know, John, agree with me, disagree with me here. What do you think? You know, it's it's nice for him to say all that, but you know, you think back to last preseason and it was all about Malik Willis and trying to get Malik Willis ready to be the number two quarterback and getting him as many snaps as possible for the most part. Um, I think what we see in the preseason games this year in terms of the division of labor between Willis and, um, oh my God, the help me. Will Levis. Will Levis. Good grief. It just, that name just went out of my head. Um, and Will Levis will speak volumes. I mean, it's it, you know, it 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 will it will either be Will Levis getting the same treatment that uh, that, that Willis did last year, or we're going to see, you know, we're going to see some kind of actual competition. Uh, don't you don't you think that's that's where we're really going to know what what the coaching staff is thinking about Malik Willis? Yeah, I think so. Um, but but I. I... I do think also that they are quite pleased with what, you know, the improvement they've seen in, in Malik Willis, you know, um, not only the, the quote that you mentioned today uh, that, that Mike Vrabel was using the, the Nick Saban comment, but, you know, even yesterday when, when Mike Vrabel was kind of previewing uh, training camp, uh, you know, and the, and the words he used a little bit unusual, but, but still praiseworthy for Malik Willis. He said Malik came out of the spring, the off season with glaring improvement. Uh, um, which is a little unusual, like I say, but but certainly, you know, he's he's pumping up Malik, you know, whereas you know that that certainly was not the case, um, you know, last year, um, you know, uh, nearly as much. And to me, I I'm a little bit more open to the thought now that they could could keep those three quarterbacks. You know, I I think after the draft, for me, I, I thought you know. Judging from what we saw from Malik Willis last year, you know, I, I thought it was going to be a two quarterback team and, and Malik Willis was really going to have an issue staying on the roster. And that still still may be the case because we know they're not going to cut Levis after being drafted in the second round last year. But I, I now think it's more possible that they keep three. You know, if, if Malik Willis continues to, you know, to, to sort of rise this, this uh, ascendancy here, uh, you know, if he shows that he is – simply too good to cut, that, that he shows signs of being a future starter, you know, whether that's here or whether he's good enough that the Titans could trade him if they like Levis also, you know, then the Titans really have no choice but to keep him. You don't, you don't move on from a guy who could be a potential starting quarterback, um, plain and simple. Um, so it, it just uh, it depends on how, you know, Malik plays the rest of training camp in the preseason games. But I'm I'm uh, you know a little bit more inclined to think that three quarterback option is a possibility, especially if the Titans are you know not dealing with injuries, a lot of injuries, or if they're not real needy at, at various positions. I'm leaning a little bit more towards the three quarterback situation than I, than I was before. Denard Malik Willis is hardly unique in the NFL in terms of being a guy who's who's been a star pretty much everywhere he's been coming up through the ranks high school yes things didn't go the way he wanted at uh, at, at Auburn but uh, but did things at, at Liberty University no one could have expected and then all of a sudden you get to the NFL and 
you're not the greatest thing anymore and you and you learn that you, you you have to you have to work and you hear the types of comments from coaches that you've probably never heard or rarely heard throughout your life at this point so uh, you know what what does it what does it say like i guess number one how hard is that for guys to to adjust to that to to sort of be like oh I'm not one of the best just by showing up. And two, what does it tell you about Malik Willis that apparently he uh, he he took all of that the the proper way this offseason? Well, first of all, when you are a rookie, and, and there's no such thing as a pass, but your first year, I don't care what position, typically rookies struggle their first year in the league. I don't care if you have a guy coming in at the left tackle position, your right tackle, but when you look at the quarterback, position David is the hardest job to try to master your first year and I don't care Dave you can go down the line and what gives me hope with Malik Willis is the fact that look at some of the names and I'm I'm just going to give out a few names David I love some of these names of John Elway to me is one of the greatest quarterbacks to play this game but when his first year in Denver he had an abysmal year I mean look at his numbers what was he seven and four TD wise Seven TDs, 14 interceptions, he had a four and six record. I don't think that's very good for the number one pick in the 83 draft. Do you think so? No, it was rough. It was rough. <laughs> Are you rough? And not to mention, I love Eli Manning, one of the best to play. I think he's a definitely a first ballot. I hope he's going to go in the Hall of Fame pretty soon. Had a great career, won two Super Bowls. But what was his, what, six TDs? nine interceptions, and he had a, what, one in six record as a starter for the Giants. That's not very good for the number one pick out of Ole Miss, right? Yeah, but – And I, what, what about uh, – oh, go ahead, David. Oh, oh, no, go ahead, John. goes on and on. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was just uh, – I, I can think uh, being a uh, a young uh, Cowboys fan uh, back, in the, back in the day, I certainly oh. remember – Troy Aikman, oh. you know, being a, a number one pick and and just having a really really uh, awful year, and, and the entire Cowboys team was awful, and of course things awful. turned around dramatically. Yeah, yeah and, nine and, and, nine touchdowns and eighteen interceptions, and he was yeah. zero zero and eleven. This was the number one pick in eighty eight out of UCLA. David, that's not acceptable here in Dallas, but that was a rookie. So yeah. do you not think that we kind of give him a little pass? I was I was working in Dallas at the time. I remember oh. that. Uh, I remember that well. Um, but you know, the one notable difference is all those guys sort of got thrown in head first. Uh, you know, whereas whereas Willis was was held out most of the year, and particularly held out when they needed him. I, I mean, that he had to. I'm sure it was humbling to him, you know, and, and he's, you know, he's, he's kind of a humble guy to begin with. And, and he sort of, he sort of showed last year a, a sort of nice demeanor about himself, but, uh, but, but it, it couldn't have been, it, it couldn't, you know, it's not one of those things where he was thinking, okay, you know, I, I went through this, I went through that, I went through that, you know, I'm not going to make those mistakes in games again. You know, this was a guy who had to sit there and watch and a guy who had to, you know, the last couple games watch Josh Dobbs come off the street and, and take, you know, the job that he had been, he had been prepped for all year. So it, it's a, it, it, it's a little different in terms of psychologically, I think what, uh, what Malik Willis has to overcome in his second year, but, uh, but you know, it, like to John's point, if if he can do enough to convince coaches and, and franchise officials here to keep three quarterbacks on the roster, then he becomes an exciting option in terms of, at the very least, 
you know, what kind of what kind of specific personnel packages and play packages can you put in for him and and sort of change the pace of the game, get him some experience, build some confidence that way? David, I had a I had a chance. Andre Ware, you know, the former Heisman Trophy winner um, back in was at 1990, I believe, out of Houston. I had a chance to um, I heard he, he made a comment about the quarterback position because Andre was a number one pick for the Detroit Lions and he struggled his whole career in Detroit and Andre and I worked out with him out in Houston. One of the things he, he alluded to was that you cannot play fast as a quarterback until you master that playbook until you get that playbook down. You're constantly, you make these moves or you indecisive. And that's the only way that you can make it in this league. That's why you see quarterbacks that work through, we call it embrace the process. When you work through those pains, it's typically when you get that playbook down, now you can play fast, but until that, until uh, Will Levis and both Malik, who's still a rookie, until they get the quarterback that that playbook down of Tim Kelly's, you're gonna you're gonna continue to see these uh, see those kind of mistakes. Well, they, it, again, it'll be uh, that that'll be another interesting part of the the preseason, perhaps the most interesting part of the preseason. But as always, our time here goes fast, and uh, and that'll do it for this episode of Believe in Titans. Denard Walker, thanks as always. Thank you, David and John. John Glennon, thank you. Okay, thanks, guys. Enjoyed it. And we thank you all out there for listening. As always, again, this is the Believe in Titans podcast. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.